Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. From the Golden Gate to the New York Bay. What I have access to is a bit different than the public. Tamper with you. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. So Sam Payne, Anthony Slater, uh-huh. and Fred Katz. To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Right or wrong. Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. It's <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention deans anymore. Actually, what I like to put in cover the ring. Trial, you're one with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Here's your host, Sam Amick. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic, here for off-season pod number two with my guy, Mr. Anthony Slater. Fred Katz is going to be joining us very briefly. And Slater, as you know, Katz better get into this episode because after all these years of chatter and rumors and gossip and innuendo, about a Bradley Beal trade, Bradley Beal being the the young man that Katz covered for quite some time in Washington when he was the Wizards beat writer. We got ourselves a, a mega deal heading into the draft in, in a massive draft week at that. Uh, Bradley Beal to the Suns, Landry Shamit, bunch of second round picks, um, you know, a couple of pick swaps. I know it's a few days old at this point, my friend, but we're going to unpack that and, and talk about some of the ramifications of the deal and and what might be ahead. This is the season, as you know, for stars like Bradley Beal, you know, kind of reading the room, looking around, deciding whether or not the place they're in is the place they want to be. We'll get into Damian Lillard and his uncertain future in Portland and all the way down the line. But Slater, what's up, brother? What's up? I feel like this was one of those rare deals where, I, you know, and I don't know, how you felt in the aftermath or who you necessarily talked to, but the people I talked to kind of didn't necessarily like it for both sides. I mean, I think there was justification on both sides, but sure. I think the weak um, return that the Wizards got just showed how bad the Bradley Beal deal with the no trade clause was in the first place. And then on the Sun side, I just sense a lot of skepticism that like, this super team, whatever you want to call that they've committed to and like deeply committed to like, you know, busting through the second apron committed to, right. uh, which by the way, is going to be our new term that we're going to say a lot, right? The second apron, yes, yes. Uh, that it's, I'm gonna like, add that I, I don't real, think there's real briefly. I'm adding that to my list of, of running podcast name titles. If we ever decide to change the name of tampering. So Eric Spolstra with his untrained eye comment during the finals, I think, you know, mm-hmm. the untrained eye would be, in 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 the running, and now we have the second apron. Uh, with second the, apron, the, the Suns. Are- How about something like beyond the second? Yeah, apron? <laughs> the second apron. I, I like it. Continue. Sorry, I cut you. I, I mean, and I, I want to flip it to you because, like, I you know, we I assume talk to different people, but I just sense like n- there's not a lot of fear in what the Suns might become, even though you know on the surface who they have. No, I'm with you. I think there's certainly, uh, I mean, it's without question, they're going to be a good team. Um, But you don't commit in this kind of a way uh, in order to be a good team. You obviously want to be a great team, a championship team. This is another championship or bust super team approach. 
Um, I tell you what, I cannot in my years doing this remember an owner like Matt Ishbia coming in hot like this. Uh, you talk about, you know, making the Kevin Durant trade days after his sale is final. Um, I did the math after the Beal deal, and I know this is a weird way of framing it, but if you just add up in lump sum the contractual obligations to DeAndre Ayton, um, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, those four guys, it's $719 million over the course of their respective contracts. Um, just massive amounts of money. And also, like I wrote about today on our site, just you know, the, the operation itself is is I think compelling and fascinating and interesting. You know, on Chris Paul's way out, gets traded to the Wizards, uh, just so happens to have a media tour lined up to promote his new uh, book with Michael Wilbon. And in this series of interviews that he does, you know, and Chris always being a very deliberate guy, um, in my opinion, clearly goes out of his way multiple times in each interview to highlight the fact that that the decision to make this move was made by Matt Ishvia, but also he references Isaiah, who is obviously Isaiah Thomas, who does not work for the Suns, but who all throughout the postseason was sitting next to Matt Ishbia. You know, prior to that, reports that Isaiah was going to head up the Suns front office. You know, the Suns pushed back on that, denied that report. Um, that element, uh, I think, is is kind of you know worth noting because James Jones is conceivably the head of the front office, and he's still there doing his thing. But to have Chris Paul tell the world that this is how this went down, I thought was interesting. And, and we'll see if it pays off. To your point, basketball-wise, uh, I mean – I'm, you know, I'm not mad at the Suns for doing it because the cost was so low. And and I am actually, I'm a sucker for guys like Beal at this stage of their career. Like I do kind of enjoy seeing them get a chance to contend after being in a tough situation for a number of years. Does, you know, do I have them above the nuggets as, as you handicap it right now? Not even close, not at all. Um, I got to see it. I got to see how they fill out the roster, which is going to be incredibly hard. You know, they'd be, Lucky to hold on to the the handful of free agents that they have coming up this summer. So there's a lot left to determine there, but but they they feel like they are a bit out over their skis. Let's get into the Isaiah Thomas thing a little bit because I mean it is interesting, uh, you know, the way it has all played out. Which you know, Chris Haynes reported he was part of it. Like you said, they pushed back against it. Yet he's sitting right next to Matt Ishbia. Not only all playoffs, but how about during the Jokic? Remember the Jokic little sideline uh, yep, yep. scuffle? Isaiah Thomas is right in there in the mix, like basically under Jokic's armpit. Um, and it's pretty. That's a pretty big sign that. You know, even if he's not officially part of you know the front office, he's sitting there probably you know all game, every game, giving opinions on players and you know you know how things should be run. Clearly, his name was kind of floated a little bit as part of the Monty Williams decision too, right? I mean, that, that, another massive choice they made this summer. Um, it's like, why do you think they? I mean, I guess it, you can go back to his next pass front office pass is why maybe they were hesitant to to loop him yeah. in officially, no, but I mean, clearly he's a heavy part of this. Yeah. And I kind of think, and I, and I wrote this a little bit today. Um, I just kind of think that it's time for, for Matt and the sons to acknowledge the choice they made. I, I'm not in that camp. Uh, and I think a lot of people would be, and, and I guess to quickly fill in the context in, in case, you know, people uh, don't remember it, you know, the younger crowd, I guess. Uh, if you know, you're, he's 17 a year, excuse me, I was looking it up. 
17 years removed from his Nick scandal where, you know, he was alleged to, to, you know, be sexually harassing and be part of a toxic workplace environment ends up, you know, in a settlement, $11.9 million with uh, Anuka Brown Sanders. And the thing that is tricky here is that, listen, Isaiah Thomas got a, a incredibly high profile within the NBA. It's not like he's been in the shadows ever since that happened. He's had a number of different, you know, non-NBA jobs, basketball jobs, Florida International from then on. Hey, half the time I go on NBA TV, he's in the That's studio the asking thing. questions. The, the league has got him with the microphone. I enjoy his commentary. He's obviously a legend of the game. And to be honest, have always gotten along just fine with Isaiah. Uh, it's just the uncomfortable part is that of all the organizations to provide a, a kind of an NBA return in a front office role, the optics of having Isaiah lead this franchise in any way are not great. And I'm presuming that the Suns and Matt Ishbia know this, and they just figured that they would continue to go down this informal, unofficial road. And Chris kind of blew up their spot a little bit. So I'm curious to see if they feel any pressure to finally acknowledge how this is operating, how this is running. Um, and, and, you know, again, I'm not sitting here advocating for, hey, you know, he shouldn't be doing this. But, I, you know, I am a sucker for, like, you know, don't treat the public like they're idiots. And if you have an elephant in the room, you're going to need to address it. You're going to need to help people understand why you are comfortable um, with these dynamics that for a lot of people are uncomfortable. Yeah. And you're not exactly hiding it as far as like, I remember when right. like Joe Dumars was part of the Kings. It was like, I, I don't really see Joe Dumars in the arena much where it's like Isaiah Thomas is seated right next to Matt Ishbia right. courtside in playoff games. Right. Like, that's you're not hiding it. Right. Right. So we'll see where that goes. Um, you know, but again, the, the basketball stuff is is going to be fascinating to watch because I do think, you know, we saw in the playoffs and, and even before that, in the limited time that that group had together after the Durant trade, because of all the injuries, they didn't get a ton of time. You know, Devin Booker went from a guy who was mostly off the ball to had the ball in his hands a ton. And, and you know, I think showed them that he could do the kinds of things that are going to help them get through this stage where right now they don't have a point guard per se, you know, campaign is the closest thing they have to it. Um, I think that's partly born out of the fact that, that, uh, that Booker has shown an ability to play that role a whole lot more, uh, but they got gaps to fill. And it's wild to me though, Slater, that, you know, we're talking about less than a week since I got home from the finals and all of us writing stories about the nuggets and the idea of, you know, having homegrown talent drafting your way to the championship stage like they did. They filled around the edges with complimentary pieces. Uh, they were patient. It was a long road. It was a slow build. And that seemingly being, you know, a kind of a, a lesson for the rest of the league. And then you get reminded really, really quickly that uh, the super team model, the write the check and, and, and kind of, you know, the Wolf of Wall Street approach, if you will, is is still alive and well, and, and we'll see which uh, model bears out here. I believe we are going to have a Fred Katz edition soon, which is a good addition considering uh, the the there he is. But considering the uh, player and the center of this trade and the team at the center of this trade, uh, Fred Katz, we held off long enough. We had an Isaiah Thomas discussion. We had a Bradley Beal on the court, Phoenix Suns skepticism and how that'll work. But 
I think we probably want to kick it to you for the more like just like it's finally done. Bradley Beal was traded from the Warriors. This has got to be like somewhat of a of a day the Warriors. For you. The Warriors and the Warriors. Wizards. Wizards. You know, <laughs> you know how it goes. I got a lot of things on my mind right now. I understand. I, I just need to 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 double check this real quick because obviously I'm I'm late for the podcast right now. I just need to check. Sam, we can talk about the Wizards. Yes, we can. Well, I mean, you know, we're talking about the, the Suns. But the the, Wash- the Washington Wizards. We can talk yes. about the Bullets. The bu- Wow. Okay. Yeah. Can we can we talk Call about the days everyone. of? Can we talk about like the days of Nene and Gortat? Okay. Or should we just now. talk more of this? All right. <laughs> it is the lesson of uh, don't give out a no trade clause to somebody yeah. who you have even a one percent chance of trading. Uh, I remember when I heard about that, I, I think it was Bobby Marks who initially reported the no trade clause. And before Bobby reported it, I had a source hit me up when when Brad signed that contract last year and said to me, there's no trade clause in there. And it was a really good source. If it, it was, a, and I was like, this is, I believed it a hundred percent. And honestly, I considered just running with the report off of the one source. Uh, and I was like, I just, it is literally the, it is the literal definition of unbelievable to me. I was like, there's just, you messed something up. There's no way there is no trade clause in this thing. When at right. the time, nobody in the league had a no trade clause. I just couldn't believe there being a no trade clause. I knew he was going to get the max. I knew he was going to get every cent, but I had no idea the no trade clause was coming. And Bobby got it out there before me because I was just like, you know what? Dumbfounded. I don't believe it. Yeah. yeah, I don't believe it. I just can't. I just I, I just can't believe it. Uh, that's why. This is why I couldn't believe it because Bradley Beal can say, I want to go to Phoenix. And now he's in Phoenix, and that trade does not happen without the no trade clause. Uh, you know, I I had heard in the days leading, like the twenty four to forty eight hours or so before the trade actually happened. I think Brad always had an eye on Miami. That was just always the case, even when he elected to stay in Washington. He always had an eye on Miami. He always, you know, every summer he'd spend time mulling his future and all that, and he, he ended up always choosing to go back to Washington. But Miami was always like. Should 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 I try for Miami? Is that something that you should really go for? And there was never a list, but I always felt like if there were a list, Miami was going to be number one on the list. And obviously, Miami was very in contention for this. It might have been number one, but the Suns pursued him so aggressively in those 24 to 48 hours before the trade landed. I think it really swayed him. I think it really swayed his family. Um, you know, his wife is from the West Coast. It gets them closer to there. He had always, you know, talked about family-wise, just kind of a warm weather place, uh, and obviously gives him an opportunity to win. So I, I I did not expect the Suns to be into it coming into this thing. But man, the Wizards getting just nothing back for him because of that no trade clause is mind-boggling. Considering I, I remember writing when I was covering the Wizards. I remember writing about how, oh, if the Wizards were going to trade him now, Drew Holiday just went for 973 first-round picks. Right. Unprotected. Swaps. Bradley Beal at the time was considered a way better player than Drew Holiday and was not on this massive contract that he's on yet. I mean, it was like it was relatively team-friendly. I think he was making 36 a year at the time. Uh, and and the Wizards just weren't even having it. They weren't taking calls. They weren't doing anything. And they put themselves in a position. I know it's a new front office, but it's the same ownership. It's the same ownership that was that was saying they have to go for the eighth seed, that was saying 
They have to hold on to Beal. That allowed for these contracts to come out with Ted Leonsis there. And this is what happens. I can't really think of an all-star trade situation. I mean, maybe there was one that was handled worse. It's very possible, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. Well, and not only from a PR standpoint, Fred, what I find funny is, is that because you had a changing of the guard in between the no trade clause and the trade itself, it's like a, an absolute utter disaster for the Wizards. But then Ted Leonsis is the only one taking understandable criticism because, you know, you look at that new front office with Michael Winger and Will Dawkins and Travis Schlank and, and people, including our own David Aldridge, have written and said that this is what they had to do. You got to pull the Band-Aid off. This is the, the pivot they had to make. Um, you said something briefly there that I'm curious if, if, if it's worth digging in on a little bit. When you say that the Suns, you know, kind of pressed up their recruiting efforts and and painted this picture for him, what form uh, does that take, and, and what do you kind of mean there? Yeah, I mean, I think I think everybody on that team was just what I had heard in the days going up to it is because because the question was, are the Suns being used for leverage to get more out of Miami? And you hear you started to hear the Suns stuff, and it's just like, what do they have to give? You know, you. That's kind of the natural inclination, even though Beal has that no trade clause, right? Because they just they just traded all their firsts. And yeah, it's technically two first round swaps, but there's no like the 2024 first round swap is nothing. It's we really think the Wizards are going to have a better record than the Suns next year. Like that's nothing. That's not a real thing. That is a symbolic swap. That is not real when we actually talk about it. Uh, And so it's just like there's. There's nothing there to make a deal is the first is the first thought. And so my first inclination was, okay, maybe this is being used as leverage. Everybody and their mother has noted the connection of Mark Bartlestein being Bradley Beal's agent and his son, Josh Bartlestein, being the CEO of the Suns. And there are a lot of times where you throw this out there and you, Miami wasn't really wanting to part with Hero from what I had heard. And they weren't really wanting to part with that much. And maybe you get an extra pick out of Miami. Maybe you get Hero out of Miami if they're panicked and they feel like there's somebody else that can up the ante. And that was my first inclination. And, and so I'm, I'm looking into it and all I'm hearing is like, no, the Suns are really interested. And, and the Wizard had given Beal permission to talk to other teams. And there were people there who were, it was like a, all hands effort. I think like there were people there just hitting him up constantly. I mean, like you got to come here, you got to come here, you got to come here. And and I'll, I'll be honest. I've, I've, from my time covering Brad, I I had always had an inside joke with him that he's the most tampered with player in the NBA in like an NBA history, because every other player who gets tampered with a lot eventually leaves and considering the age of like social media and texting and FaceTime and all that kind of stuff and how players all know each other so well and are so connect- connected, I feel like he's the most tampered with player in the league. And 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 this must have been his his most, I mean, it wasn't tampering. He had permission, but this must have been his most recruited week of his entire career. Uh, and, and I think the Suns made a really aggressive pursuit to show him why they wanted him, why he would fit, why they valued him. Um, and... I think it 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 swayed him on top of the fact that, you know, I think the geography was something that played into account as well and obviously a chance to win a title. What, if anything, real briefly, Slater, sorry to jump in. Do you know, again, because if we haven't made it clear, Fred covered Brad for years, has fantastic insight on this front. Um, off the court, Fred, you know, there's been some reporting 
about, um, you know, ties to the West Coast and that being a difference maker here. Uh, how did you see that component? I think that's definitely plausible. Uh, Brad's wife is from Los Angeles, uh, getting there closer. He lives in Los Angeles during the off season. I think that's definitely closer, but I don't think it was like a deal breaker. Got to go to the West Coast ever. I know Miami was a place that that he always really, really liked. Uh, I know L.A. was a place he always somewhat considered in the past. Golden State was a place he somewhat considered in the past. Um, you know, Shams and you reported that King stuff. Um, you know, that was that was real. Uh, I don't think he was like ever like yearning to go to the Kings, but I think the Kings made calls to the Wizards and Sacramento's a hot market right now. It's a hot housing market. Started with there Slater, you go. Man. The second Slater got to town, you know. There you go. I was just part of the wave, the Bay Area <laughs> yeah. wave upstate. I'm like, I don't the, think he, I'm, like, I'm the Haslam. I'm the OG out here. Yeah, I don't think he was ever like super into the Kings or anything like that, but he was like willing to listen. I, I think it was like he was he was he was willing to hear them out. I don't know what his reaction was upon hearing them out, but it wasn't like, no, I'm not going to Sacramento, which, by the way, what an incredible change for the Kings from like sure. a 16 year period to turn around and be like, this is the number one guy on the trade market. OK, I'll listen. We'll hear him out. Um, I don't think Philadelphia was ever in consideration. I know a lot of people like fake trading him there. I, I don't think that was that was ever really a real thing, at least not this time around. Uh, I, I don't think Boston was ever a real thing. I think the Knicks, uh, you know, kick stuff around internally. And in the past, they had they had expressed that they would be interested in Beal. But I don't think anything like concrete ever amounted with the Knicks. And I don't think the Knicks were ever a team that was going to climb super high on, on his list or anything like that. Um, so, so, I mean, I, I think it, I think the West coast stuff matters to a degree, uh, but I think the Suns kind of gave him the both, the best of both worlds. He gets a really good opportunity to win. I know he has a ton of respect for Kevin Durant. He always has like, he, he really respects the hell out of Kevin Durant. And, and I'm sure Getting having an opportunity to go play with KD was 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 a big thing for him. Uh, he 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 just I I know he marvels over Durant and, and his game and and him as a guy too. Uh, so so I think I think it just kind of turned into the perfect storm and you get that no trade clause and it's like now it's possible. My question is okay, Slater. Here's my question. So David Aldridge, as Sam mentioned, wrote that article like the Wizards were going to trade Beal. They had to reset. They had to break it down. Brad has the no trade clause. So if he says, I want to go to Phoenix, that's it. It's either Phoenix or nothing. And the 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 p- position that I think a lot of people have taken, that's fine. I mean, I don't disagree with it, is the Wizards had already backed themselves into a corner. They weren't going to get more for Beal than they could because of the size of the contract plus the no trade clause. And because Beal could direct himself to Phoenix if he wanted to. They weren't just going to get more. What? But there's another option. You could just not trade him. And and that's the thing that I keep coming back to because Beal could say, no, I want to go to Phoenix. But you could. This is a new front office. You know, like you have you don't have to show loyalty in that situation. You don't have to show like all the way like you can say this is just too terrible of a trade. We're not trading you to Phoenix. Pick somewhere else. Or you can stay in Washington until you find somewhere else or until maybe Phoenix has another first round pick to trade a year from now. Um, One thing that we have learned over the last five years 
is that while Beal is a very good player, he's not so good that he is going to make sure that you're not bad because the Wizards have been bad. Yeah. Um, I mean, and you could also be like, look, we just don't like Phoenix's trade offer, so you can either stay here for a season that you're not going to enjoy or, you know, choose between Miami and, you know, whatever other offers we like better. You could do that. Um, it to me signals that this front office is a new front office that has some big, you know, Michael Winger, Will Dawkins, and, and Travis Schlank. Uh, some big names have, have come in there. It signals to me like a thirst to like get this reset going now, you know, because what you're saying is right. Wait till the deadline if you want, you know, get if Porzingis opts in, he's going to be a tradable piece, you know, either in a couple weeks or at the deadline. <clears throat> Maybe you resign Kuzma on on what you think's a, a fair market deal and he's tradable. Uh and maybe that means that you get the 7th pick instead of the 4th pick in the next draft. Okay. You know, it's not some unbelievable draft. It's not a Wimbanyama draft. Um, is actually considered to be, a, you know, and I'm not an expert here, but I think next year's draft is considered kind of a bad draft. Um, so, but I, to, maybe we'll know more in the next few weeks, like if Porzingis has moved in like an opt-in and, and trade or if he just leaves, if, if they don't bring Kuzma back, maybe they're ready to just be like, we're going to be the worst team in the league next year. We're going like all youth. We're going to try to get whatever draft picks we can out of it and just like this is the pivot we're making. And part of that pivot was getting Bradley Beal off the books and you know that obviously also includes chris paul right he's now one of the assets that they're either moving or you know what they have to do something with him so i think maybe it'll make more sense when we see their full offseason plan laid out yeah can i just say one thing people have talked about them buying out chris paul like i don't know if anyone like i i just keep seeing oh maybe the wizards just buy out chris paul and he can go where he wants obviously there's a possibility of them finding a third team for a trade I don't understand why the Wizards would buy out Chris Paul. I, I I don't get it. Like this year, specifically this year, not even this year and moving forward, this year period is maybe going to be the number one year for wanting to have expiring contracts. And the reason why is because the league is phasing in the new collective bargaining agreement, right? And up, like like the rules on the second aprons and the restrictions when you go far too far into the tax and all that kind of stuff. Some of them are starting this off season, and then some of them, most of them, are starting next off season, and some of them are like half coming into effect this year. For example, you can match up to a, if you're over the second apron, you can match up to 110 percent on salaries uh, this upcoming summer. Next summer, it's going to be a hundred. So there are going to be a lot of teams this year over the next especially over the next 2 to 3 weeks who are going to be trying to make move, who are going to try to make moves to try to get off of long term money because they're worried about the apron first or second apron not necessarily in 23 24 but in 24 25 beyond that, the second apron Sam it, knows what I'm talking about sorry beyond it's our new podcast we're starting a new podcast called beyond the second apron well thank you for the invite but i you're not go you're up not. on time buddy <laughs> <laughs> I I I go keep that 30 million expiring. You might be able to bring back a couple of 15 million guys on on a couple 20 million guys, a couple 18 million guys on on with multiple years remaining and then you can use it to take in picks because you're taking in you're taking in money. So like I I oh, I hear you. I do. And I and I, I don't see them buying him out. Doesn't make I sense. I don't either. The answer to your question about the narrative is probably because 
you know, like it's Chris Paul is remains one of the most influential guys in the league. And I think there's this sense of like, you know, especially at age 38, when he's got limited basketball left, the optics of <clears throat> shelving him um, for a team that's not going anywhere would not be great. You know, Chris kind of come hell or high water tends to find his way into better situations. Now, the reality of it is, like you said, they have a ton of incentive to hold on to him, be patient, see where this thing goes. And to fill in more context, you know, let's go ahead and say you are correct and the Wizards are going to be prudent and take their time here. Then, you know, Chris better hope that the Lakers are, you know, Lakers specifically are very motivated to bring him to town via trade because, um, you know, I, I like you said, I don't think the waving idea is going to happen. And so far, the Lakers are signaling that that's the path that they would prefer. The Clippers are interested, but they had talked to the Wizards before. Uh, I'm sorry, to uh, to the Suns previously about a deal straight up. And, and when this deal went down, it kind of reset the landscape on that front. So I don't have clarity on how Chris gets to L.A. I 100 percent think he he very much wants to be there. His family is there. We know that. Even being in Phoenix was, you know, close enough to L.A. that that was a big part for him off the court. Um, but you're right. He's not in control here. He's not Bradley Beal. He doesn't have a no trade clause. And and we'll see where that goes. Yeah. All right. Well, should we pivot to other? Can I, yeah, can I, make, one, can I make one quick Suns comment? Indeed. I wasn't able to in the beginning. I, I just think it is great that a team looked at the second apron, which we all thought was like going to be the scariest thing ever. And then said, screw you. We're going way over it. And part of the reason why is because like, once you get below the second apron, it's really hard to get back over it. So if you just blast all the way past it, you're kind of going to have a natural spending advantage once all those restrictions come in in a year from now, because you're going to be able to trade really big salaries and maybe you get a little bit cheaper, but you're still way over the the apron. Uh, I think you ever seen the movie hangover though. I feel like the year 2026 and 27 and beyond are going to look like that for the Phoenix Suns. <laughs> you know, all of our draft picks are frozen or guaranteed to be 30th. Kevin Durant is 40 years old. Like, we don't even have a scouting department because we don't draft anybody. Like, uh, what's going on here, Isaiah? What do we do? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and and within that too, it's. I mean, we didn't really get into this, and we'll move on from Beal. But the no trade clause with Beal, like as you guys know, like the the, the price tag was low because there's a back end of that for the, the you know the no trade clause goes with him, which means if this does not work in Phoenix. You know, they are stuck. And that's what all these teams had to kind of process and calculate. And and I know he's only he's about to be 30. But, you know, like you wrote, Fred, you know, health has been an issue last couple of years. Uh, he's the kind of guy who wants to play, but he's had a, a tough go on that front. If he's not this guy and if it doesn't pay off in the way that they wanted, then uh, then they're stuck. Yeah. Not only are they stuck, by the way, because of the no trade, but they are also only going to be be able to match like a hundred percent on salaries. And so like they have to find somebody to trade for Beal who it's going to be, it's just going to be real tough to make salary matching work. Even if Beal wants to go somewhere, like if Beal wants to go say to Beal's probably going to want to go to a winning team if they decide to break it down. Right. And a winning team very possibly could be expensive because 
winning teams are expensive more than losing teams are expensive. And if that team is over the first apron, just like the Suns will be, and this is the first apron, not the second apron. If that team is also over the first apron, then both teams can only match 100%, which means that Beal, if he's going to a team that's over the first apron, which isn't that high a number, can only be traded for someone who makes the identical salary as him. That's no one. No right. one makes the identical salary as him. So he's not even just going to have a no trade clause. He's going to have a can't trade to expensive team clause where it's just not going to be possible. Uh, so you might just have that contract on. If it doesn't work, you might just have that contract on your books until it expires. It's going to be real hard, real hard to get off of it. All right, gentlemen, this is quickly becoming the uh, the superstar draft slash trade season pod. I think we're going to spend most of our back end portion sharing a few thoughts on a very similar situation that is yet to unfold. Uh, let's talk about Portland a little bit and Mr. Damian Lillard. So Fred, the summer, I think of 2021, correct me if I'm wrong. You uh, author a fantastic story with the one and only Jason Quick in Portland, our longtime Blazers beat writer, about how Bradley Beal and Damian Lillard were kind of, you know, kind of uh, brothers when it comes to the game and their shared experiences, but more specifically, the loyalty component of their kind of situations in Portland and Washington. This is something they had connected over, something they had discussed and pondered. And at that time, the framing and the narrative was these two guys understand why they're not impatient, why they're holding off uh, on, on doing this kind of a thing that Brad just did. So now one guy is on his way out. The other guy is watching his situation unfold as it stands. Just quick kind of highlighting framing context. Blazers got the number three pick uh, reporting today uh, from Jake Fisher, Yahoo sports talking about how the Blazers have a list of players that they, they are targeting with that number three pick that they would hope would essentially appease Damian Lillard. Um, I'll be honest. I looked at that list and it, and it seems like, you know, when you, when you write something to Santa Claus and, and you're just hoping that that shows up under the tree. Uh, Bam out of bio's name, like talk about flipping the script. Like, no, the idea is that Dame goes to Miami, not that you somehow convince Pat Riley to part ways with one of his favorite heat players of all time. Um, I have a hard time. Pat Riley, it loves him. Some 19 year olds. We, as we know. Yeah. Yeah. Just big, kidding. Big okay. draft guy, big draft guy, big draft. Guy. Um, and you know, I mean, I just covered the finals with those guys, and it's like to hear Udonis Haslam talk about Bam, to hear Jimmy Butler talk about Bam. Like this dude is going to go up in the rafters in Miami. I don't see him going anywhere. Um, so it feels like Joe Cronin and that Blazers group is, you know, holding out hope certainly that they can do something to keep Dame there. But on the back end of the draft, if they don't land any of those types of players. Um, and I don't expect that they will. That's just my two cents. Then I do think the noise around Damian Lillard is going to get loud pretty quick. That's kind of where I see this going. Um, you know, the connective tissue to the Beal situation, of course, is that, you know, Phoenix uh, looked at this situation and, and knew that if they waited too long, that Damian would be part of this equation most likely, and, and they would have more competition. So, you know, they go ahead and they get this deal done. That leaves Miami in this game of star player musical chairs waiting on Dame. And I think he'd be an incredible fit. I don't know um, in terms of offers 
you know, what would be out there beyond the, you know, they're going to have competition, but, but I guess in general, I don't know who wants to take the mic. But well, you, you mentioned it right there. They will have competition, right? This isn't a wizard situation. There isn't no, not a no trade clause. You could get a really good haul for him and you could, you know, obviously they're going to work with Damian Lillard to try to direct him to a place he wants to go just because of their, you know, if this happens, by the way, because of their longstanding relationship. But theoretically, if it happens, Portland's set up well for the future. You got Shaden Sharp, who looks like a was a solid pick last year. You have theoretically either what Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson, and then you have whatever you get back for Lillard, whatever package that is of picks and maybe young players. You know, Simons is a solid, like, you know, tanking, you know, guard to just kind of give the ball to next year, have him shoot it twenty five times. I really like the situation that Portland's like set up for if they do move off Lillard, but there is this gravitational pull that remains to try to make it work with Damian Lillard. And sure, if you get, you know, Zion Williamson or Bam Adebayo or somebody coming in there, maybe you could theoretically see, oh, they could like be a fringe contender next year. I still kind of don't see it. Um, I would, I think it's time. As the Wizards just showed us, move, like, you know, pull the trigger when you should pull the trigger. Yeah, I agree. I think it's time too, but and I I also think like Dame doesn't have a no trade clause, but he is going to have a ton of say in where he goes. You know, it's not it's not like they're just going to send him off to whoever makes the best offer and that's it. Um, I'm sure Miami will be a contender for him if that's on the table, but it's not like Miami can make like an unbelievable offer, right? It's a couple of far out first round picks, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson. And that's kind of your offer. Maybe you throw in Nikola Jovic and and that's that's like that's the Miami offer. That's it. It's not an unbelievable offer. It's a good offer. It's not incredible for Damian Lillard, I wouldn't say. Uh, but yeah, I'm with you. I'm also so curious if they do trade Dame about mm-hmm. all of the secondary reactions that are gonna follow. Okay, Jeremy Grant's free agent now. What where's Jeremy Grant going? That that's now like a good free agent who everybody has kind of assumed that Portland was going to pay whatever it took to keep. Now all of a sudden that's a that's a really good free agent who could help basically any team win. Uh where's he gonna go? Who's who's gonna pay him? Uh is Portland gonna be able to pull off a sign and trade? Because most of the room teams are not the teams that are gonna necessarily need a guy like Jeremy Grant. And if a really good team wants to trade for Jeremy Grant, what can Portland get back for him? Um so so I agree. I mean, like they they should be able to get something really good for Lillard if if they choose to go in that direction or if Lillard chooses to go in that direction and and it's not even it's not even just him you might be able to get something for in a grand sign and trade and you might be able to you know I I guess Nurkic would probably just stick around uh, but but you know there there are other effects as well. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at Fidelity.com baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. I know I'm looking outside right now. Sun's out. Birds are chirping. It's time to start getting outside. Uh, I know that I like to get outside and play basketball with my kids. And honestly, I need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys. 
and Peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. I might have recency bias um, because I say this every once in a while as far as just, you know, being struck by the trends of the league. I don't remember a summer with this many, like we'll see what actually bears out. Beal has been dealt, but with this many high profile guys, you know, conceivably on the move. And and New Orleans is another spot that is probably worth getting into in the context of Portland and, and you know, similar theme and vein there where the futures of Zion Williamson, you know, to a lesser degree, Brandon Ingram, there's nothing negative happening with Brandon in, in New Orleans. It's just the idea that, that New Orleans uh, has got a lot of interest in Portland's number three pick reportedly. Um, but man, that's another one where, I'm curious your guys' thoughts on these different Blazers hypothetical scenarios. If, and this has not happened to this point, but if New Orleans does call as as we get closer to draft day here and and put Zion in particular on the table, um, man, Fred, you talk about a guy in Beal with that combination of health history and question marks and uncertainty. Um, Zion's a whole different ball of wax when it comes to that type of deal because he's an MVP caliber player when he's on the floor, but that's a, a major qualifier um you know i guess let's just kind of game that one out a little bit let's if that did happen if that does happen uh how how should portland respond there i feel like there are a lot of people who are going to disagree with me on this but if i can go get zion williamson like go get zion williamson like i i just it's worth the risk i get the injury risk i get it it he never plays if he can figure out a way to play, that dude could literally be an MVP. Like the the most enjoyable moment in basketball to me, like my favorite thing to watch in basketball is the last six or seven minutes of a close New Orleans game when Zion is healthy and the Pelicans say, you know what, Zion, you're running point the entire time. Zion, bring the ball up every single time and you're just going to run the offense. And Zion goes wherever he wants. He has become a fabulous passer. He gets to the rim hat whenever he wants. I mean, like, I feel like him and Giannis are the only two dudes in the league who can say, okay, I think I'm going to go, and Jokic, I guess, but in a different fashion, who can say, I think I'm just going to go here and I'm going to take this shot this way. And it is completely up to me whether or not I make it. There's nothing a defender can Fred, do. Fred, continue your fever dream, though. They're playing against the Raptors, and <laughs> Jakob Pertl is the rim protector on the other side. And it's Zion against Jakob Pertl for five minutes of a close game. Well, I would just, I would just pass out. I, I wouldn't be able to watch it. I would, my eyes would roll the back of my head. 
and I would pass out. I don't think I'd wake up. A meeting at the summit, and, and they, a, a reporter has passed out on press row. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they'd have to like cancel the game. It would just be it would be just oh, sensory overload. I wouldn't be able to deal. Hey, Jakob Pertl, unrestricted free agency coming. Uh, I feel like that'll be a topic next week when, when, we, when we really dive into free agency. We'll see who this wants the max amount. This is when you know that Slater is ready for the pot to be over. He's throwing Jakob Pertl uh, the free agency scenarios at you. Well, I just. Zion is extraordinary when he's on the floor and he is what 22. Like this is not some dude who is on the wrong side of his prime and is now starting to break down. I get it when you're 22 and you have the injury history already, it could get even worse as you get older. I get it. What, who's the, what's the unbelievable. What's the comp for Zion? There, there isn't one, but not, not the player comp. But the again things I cannot remember like this. Embiid, uh, oh yeah, a little bit like the idea that like supreme transcendent talent, but then the uncomfortable physical discussion, you know, where my goodness, you have Charles Barkley, the round round of rebound, publicly talking about how he wants to mentor Zion and calling him out for you know not taking good enough care of his body. Um, you know, even teammates, you know, CJ McCollum has said things. Now you have, you know, subplots like the Pelicans parting ways with longtime trainer Aaron Nelson, you know, who was celebrated from his Phoenix Suns days. And there's a Zion component there to be sure. There's also, and we definitely don't need to get into the, <clears throat> the details of it, but there's also this online thing going on with him that that has to do with his personal life that like I think sheds a little light on like, you know, things are just fractions and yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, yeah. His off court social media love. Life. I wouldn't even care about it. I wouldn't even care. He's 22 years old. He is capable of being the best player on the floor on any okay, would you night ra- against you, anyone. You would rather have Zion on the, he's already on the first year of this full max mm-hmm. or Scoot Henderson. Who would you rather entering year one of, his career and on a much cheaper deal with more years of control. Obviously, are we talking? Are we talking about Portland, or are we talking about yeah. just in general? I Charlotte, okay. Portland. I mean, let's, those are really the two teams we'd be talking about. So yeah, let, but let's keep it like actual, you know, relevant. So let's say Portland. My real answer is I don't know enough about the draft to give an honest answer because I don't have an opinion on Scoot Anderson. I just haven't seen him play enough. I don't follow the draft well enough to know. I, I I guess I probably if I'm Portland I would rather have Scoot Henderson because I think Portland should tear it down. Uh, well, more importantly, guys, what is I mean I and I cannot I don't this is not reporting by any means. I would have a hard time thinking that that Dame would, you know, I'm sure he respects the hell out of Zion, but that Dame would look at Zion and say, okay, let's go. This is now here. You know, watch out, Nuggets. Here we are. Not because of the talent, but because of. Any player in the NBA who becomes teammates with Zion is going to look at his track record and say, all right, but like, is he going to play? He's going to have the same questions that we do. Um, that's where I guess to take it back to the Blazers and their uncertain future and where I think this is going, um, maybe, you know, Joe Cronin pulls a rabbit out of the hat. I'm not seeing the scenario where it says, go get me that guy who is attainable. Um, and then all is well with Dame and, and the Portland chapter will continue. Yeah. It's the, these are the questions that will be asked and answered in the next what 48 72 hours. I think, I think we all agree that Portland is best tearing it down. Shaden Sharp's really good. 
you can get a great player. At yeah, but three. I think we all know that we would have said this about Portland the last two seasons probably, and they've decided yeah. not to. So I don't. I I don't. I'm not sure. I expect them to. They're <laughs> wizards. They're, it's, they're it's wizards west. They're it's wizards west. It's yeah. been up to Dame, and what choice has Dame always made at the end of the day? Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. But you know, man, he's he's what is Dame thirty three now? Ten toes down, Sam. May make another podcast name for you. 32, 32. I'm trying to age him. He's thirty three in July, but he's coming up on thirty three. Now we'll see. All right, boys. I know Slater's got to get out of here. Anything you want to hit at the tail end here um, before we embark? Can I? Can um, I say? I mean, uh, I know we talked about doing a little Warriors Draymond discussion. Oh, that's right. And I apologize. He, we get- yeah, no, no. I mean, he opted out. Uh, you know, which obviously a uh, little eyebrow raising, but I mean, look, Draymond Green. This is the summer he wants to get three to four year multi year deal, like and more security. So he like it's not a surprise he opt out. I do think that there's still, you know, maybe a gap between what the Warriors want to pay him and what Draymond obviously wants. Like there is, I'm sure, across the league with twenty five other players right now as as free agency nears. Um and 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 there is still interest on both sides on a reunion that still remains the expectation, but you know, there's a lot of stuff involved in that play with beyond the second apron. Uh, you know, we can say that, but that's that's at play with the Warriors and their future and how much money they want to, you know, lock into. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how that goes uh, and, and if that situation turns a little sideways or not and, and they can come to, to a reasonable deal uh, for both sides over the next – you know, 14 days. How did uh, how did Mike Dunleavy comport himself in his first official press conference? Measured, I believe is the word both he and uh, Joe Lacob used for Mike. One of the things that appeals to Joe Lacob, uh, you know, I think he, you know, because of who Joe is and his personality, I think he likes having a GM that has a similar personality to what Bob Myers had. And Mike Dunleavy is, you know, is I don't want to say best friends with Bob Myers, but very, very close friends with Bob Myers. And part of that, I think, is they have very similar demeanors. Um, so I thought Mike was, uh, you know, made sense in, in in the personality realm as far as what he said. Mike really messaged out uh, a comfort from the Warriors front office to, in some ways, run it back. You know, like Jordan Poole, we, you know, so he he was saying that they want him here for four years for the you know the duration of the extension. They want to keep Kaminga. They want to bring back Draymond. They don't believe they can be a contender, you know, without Draymond. And that signals, um, despite the fact that they clearly are having conversations about a lot of things right now, and something big could happen in the next couple of weeks, they are messaging out at least publicly we're comfortable running it back uh, with basically the same cast. Quick update from our uh, Will Guillory, Pelicans beat writer, also a Heat beat writer during the finals. Uh, Will actually just put out a piece on the Zion front saying that the Pelicans have yet to offer Zion with any of their uh, their number three, I'm sorry, with their, their trade uh, discussions to move up. And so we'll track that. But right now the Zion smoke appears to be coming mostly from the media. Well, you... You know what's interesting to me in that realm is like, you know, if let's say there's this theoretical Portland, Scoot Henderson, Zion type talks that we were just going through, that would almost have to be right on the clock because he might not be there for Portland. You know what I mean? We know when Banyan is going first, but Scoot might be gone by three and that might, you know, where he, he goes if Charlotte does or doesn't take him or what Charlotte wants to do with that number two overall pick could, it's such a flashpoint, I feel like. Yeah, no question. No question. 
All right, boys. Appreciate you. I'm going to let you go. Uh, we will be back next week. Can I, Sam, can I let off an unbelievably niche take? Okay. Before we go? Like late rant. Slater's out of here. Thank you, brother. Slater, Slater's gone. Can I can I just say like maybe niche the take. most niche, niche? Can I say the most niche, niche, niche take I think I've ever said on this podcast? Yes, just because I want to I want to throw it out into the world. Uh, you realize teams still have not received the new collective bargaining agreement ten yes. days from free agency. Yes. You know what I would do if I were an owner right now. So like teams have to be clear. Like teams have like a little explainer. Like, I don't know, 50, 80 pages, whatever it is, explaining the CBA. The actual CBA, the written legal document, is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of legal jargon explaining rules and policies and regulations and all that stuff, right? Right, right. Teams employ these these salary cap people, basketball strategy, in order to find ways to exploit that legal document. It is an entire department. It is an entire job. I think 28 of the 30 teams have multiple people working in cap management, right? Yep. Uh, No one has seen this freaking thing, and we're 10 days away from free agency. If I were running a team, I would call up the league office and offer – this is a person who no one listening to this podcast has ever heard of. I would offer Matt Doria, who who runs salary cap stuff in the league office – I would offer him an insane amount of money to come and join my front office today. He (laughs) has by far, he is the only person you could possibly have in the NBA world who has a intimate knowledge of the CBA right now. And teams are going to get this document like six seconds before free agency starts. They're going to have to read the whole thing. They're going to have to figure out ways to exploit it on the go. Uh, You know, even the smartest, most brilliant cap management people and lawyers and all of that in existence are just going to like not internalize one sentence correctly because they're going to have to. It takes a really long time to be able to figure out the tiny little exploitations in this and how you can get advantages and how you should manage your team. And I just feel like Matt Doria must be sitting there waiting for the final document to come out, being like, wow, I wonder when teams are going to realize they can do this. And he's the <laughs> only one who knows it. So if I also, were running a team. Phone, I want to know what his cell phone record history looks like right yeah. now. Just like, people calling for clarifications every yeah. second. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. that's the guy in the league you call. Hey, uh, we were wondering, we've interpreted this line in the CBA like this. How's the league interpret it? He's the guy right. who teams call for that kind of stuff. I, I would – people have been hired away from the league office before. Uh, the Pacers hired hired a guy from the league office I think a couple of years ago, Ted Wu. Uh, it has happened before. I would just call it up. I don't even know if the league would allow it because it seems – insane and before the CBA has come out. But after the CBA comes out, I'd be like, what do you want? And then bring him on and start him right away. Because I just feel like you're going to have the most ginormous advantage dealing with the CBA this summer. If you have that dude, that's my really, really niche take. I feel like I'm going to get a call from Tim Frank being like, this is not legal. Stop throwing it out there. I don't care. I love the niche take, especially on tampering. That is our first 
like salary cap expert level tampering assertion. That's yes, been- tamper with the tam- with the salary yes. cap guy. Yes, yeah. that's what you're advocating for. I'm here for it. To add another layer to your point, though, and this crossed my desk a couple of days ago when I wrote about the John Morant suspension. Um, this is not an ideal time in, in terms of the relationship between the NBA and the union. Um, you know, they are continuing to try to get the CBA all the way finalized, all the way over the finish line. And in the midst of that, you know, the Morant ruling comes out 25 games, union with Jaw now deciding whether or not they want to file a grievance. It's a little bit of a sideshow, but it's a little, it's a bit of a distraction where you now have something else for these parties to do at a time when they are all well aware that, uh, that they have kind of missed the clock on getting the CBA finalized. So you're right. I mean, I'm curious to see when teams get it, what impact that has, um, you know, but uh, I think your guy, Matt Dorian, probably owes you a little commission if he ends up getting a Dorian, yeah, he probably <laughs> won't. He'd probably be furious that I'm saying this. Right. All right. Now, because you know how people are, if you, if you mention anybody in any, in wow. any front office anywhere, people are like, oh, that's your source. And it's just not the case. That's not right. how that stuff works. You know, Thank you for clarifying Fred. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But it's like, I, I don't know. That's, it just makes so much sure. sense. And to be clear, like teams don't, teams aren't like, oh, can I peek at what it's at now? No, no, they, they, teams have not seen the actual CBA and free agency starts in 10 days. They have not seen the new one. They have like an explainer. It's like cliff notes, but cliff notes are helpful in knowing, okay, here's the new rule. But sometimes things are written in certain ways that makes you say, oh, you know what? We could do this. Right. And no, no one I mean, knows. Let's take it back to school. Cliff notes are what you get when you didn't study. That's what you get when you're trying to shortcut. That's right. not, yeah, that's not what these teams are trying to do. All right. I like leaving it there because that's a great kind of table setter for next week and the draft slash free agency chaos to come. But, uh, and I think each take now needs to become like a, a regular segment on the show here, brother. So nice job. And, uh, and we'll talk to everybody next week. Thank you, Fred. See you, Sam.